morning birds. Birds, we have uh, really exciting breaking news on this Friday morning. Are you ready? Jewel has reopened their salad bars. Woo! Woo! Hello, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is Sparks, and I would like to welcome you to the Weekend Pirate Radio Special. Oh, the Chicago Radio Pirates Morning Show. It's the Chicago Radio Pirates Program. Special here at Bleat.network. Enjoy. What a treat for me today. I hope you'll enjoy uh, this as much as I believe I'm going to. I've never had an opportunity to interview a magician. I, uh, I know, I am a... I'm a failed magician. I had all the magic kits as a kid and always given my uh, nieces and nephews stuff like that. Anyway, I just never I just I don't I don't I just don't have it. So, um we're uh, we're 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 indebted to uh, John Sturck for waking up early with us. John is um, Chicago chapter president and national second vice president of the Society of American Magicians and he joins us this morning. John, hello. Good morning. How are you? Very well. And uh, I had no idea that we had so much magic right here in Chicago. We really do. I mean, Chicago, you can really call it the birthplace of modern close-up magic. Wow. Um, I know that that means literally that you're standing there watching somebody do sleight of hand uh, not too far away. Is that right? Yeah, we're instead of, you know instead of the grand illusion up on a stage where you're, you're far away from where the action is at, is happening, you're you're inches away from a magician performing sleight of hand with small objects. You get to talk to them, you get to interact with them. It's fast, it's funny, and it's more intimate than any type of any other type of magic. I saw a guy do this. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, he was you know, literally, as you say, you know, a foot or two away, and um, wow! I, which brings me back to my failed magicianship. I just don't have the uh, physical dexterity to pull it off. Is that the stuff that you like to do, John? Is it close magic? Yes, I do. Uh, Close-up magic and also stand-up magic. So, like, uh, I never got into the uh, the big stuff with like the boxes and the girls and the tigers and stuff. Can't fit all that stuff in my apartment. Uh, so I like doing, I like doing stuff where I get to interact a lot more with the audience. Um, they get to talk to me. I get to react to what they're saying. Um, that, that's always the most fun for me. Have you been doing this all your whole life or uh, you just picked it up recently or I won't ask. Well, Go ahead. I guess, I guess I started a little bit later than most. Uh, you know, most folks, uh, tell the story. They got a magic set or they got a book when they, for Christmas or their birthday, you know, when, when they were like nine, I didn't start studying till I was 19. Wow. I was a, I was a sophomore at uh, Michigan State University, and I came across a special exhibit at the State History Museum. Uh, yeah, I was a 19-year-old hanging out at the History Museum <laughs> uh, about magic in Michigan, and I had no idea about the history of magic there. And I learned about a local chapter of a magic club. I said, well, that sounds kind of interesting. I'd like to check it out. I always liked magic, never studied it with any type of uh, regularity and I just got hooked and uh, uh, I usually just say it's just a hobby that got way out of control Uh, um, folks my age will remember Johnny Carson Johnny uh, started as a magician 
That's right. And used to, uh, and I'm told they used to do the, you know, like people have an annual office party, right? So the office party, the you know, the Tonight Show annual party, he would he would he would do a card tricks, and uh, you know, for the employees, for the staff there. So, anyway, uh, magicians who influenced you, anyone come to mind? Well, I think most of the ones that influenced me would not be well known to the public. Uh, the public usually just knows kind of like the top three or four right. names in magic. So these days you're talking about, well, still Copperfield. You're talking about Chris Angel. You're talking about uh, David Blaine, uh, those kind of guys. The guys that are on TV. But my favorite guys usually aren't on TV all that much. Um, they're fast. They're funny. I'm talking about sleight-of-hand artists like David Williamson, uh, Doc Eason, um, a bunch of guys out in California over at the Magic Castle, and some of the, the, the older masters who aren't around anymore, but they left a long legacy of publications uh, books and sometimes even video uh, tapes and recordings that we still learn from today. You listen to a John Sturk, S T U R K. His website is johnsturk.com. That's easy. Um, you know, I lived out there for a while. You referenced the Magic Castle. Explain to Chicagoans and everybody else what that is. It's, a, it's an extremely cool place. Well, it's a private club that was established in the 1950s by uh, two brothers, uh, Milt and Bill Larson. And they lived in uh, in Hollywood, and they were they loved magic. They had been around a lot of magicians, uh, and they wanted so they started this private club, and it became sort of the uh, the epicenter of the global magic world. So if you perform in a magic castle, that's a big feather in your cap. Uh, and those folks that live nearby in Los Angeles can go visit the clubhouse. And after the last year, uh, they just reopened the clubhouse. So people are starting to show up, see their old friends again, and uh, everything's coming back to life. Do you, um, when, when you perform, do you do, um, uh, when you, what, as you say, stand-up magic, uh, I'm assuming that requires, you know, a specific amount of time. How, how long a, a, an act, how long a routine do you do normally? Well, I guess for, for comfort, we like to do at least eight minutes. <laughs> That's as, about as low as I can get. Eight? I could technically do five, yeah. <laughs> uh, but for a magician, it's it's hard to introduce yourself in five minutes. You know, you referenced David Blaine. Um, Sparks just sent me a note asking about street magic. I, I I think Blaine's really interesting. I don't know what your take is on him, but that's an example. If you've never, if if no one has ever seen that kind of thing going on, uh, what about that? We see a lot of street magic on TV now. I didn't always, you know, have the opportunity to do that. You have a take well, on that? The modern street magic that we see today is really just close-up magic. It's performed on the street. Because uh, you have David Blaine going up to people. If you look at like his some of his early specials back in the early 2000s, and he would just walk up, up to people yeah. and do close-up magic, the yeah. same close-up magic that we all do. His environment was just different. Yeah. And then you have the other kind of street magic, the older street magic, called busking, where you'd perform on the street for tips, what, you know, the same way that you'd see a guitar player with his case open, that, that, uh, waiting for people to toss and change. That's called what? Busking. B-U-S-K-I-N-G. It's a it's a British word, All right. uh, and basically beats performing for tips out on the street. Okay. What um, what's your favorite? I know you don't reveal magicians don't reveal their the secrets. What can you describe your favorite trick? What do you what do you close with? Well. Uh, one of my favorites is the, the famous Bill and Lemon. 
the idea is you borrow a, a money of some kind, a, a dollar bill. It's funniest with a $100 bill, of course. You have the spectator write their name on the bill, their signature. You make it disappear, and then you cut open a lemon and find the bill inside the lemon. Wow. Um, I'm... Uh... All right, wait. There, there, there. Somebody's shouting in back. Don't ask him how he does that. No, that's not. Oh, I would. No, I know. That, but I, I would not tell. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That sounds fabulous. That sounds fabulous. Did you develop that yourself, or you've learned it from somebody? Or I mean, I, I did learn it. I did learn it from somebody. Yeah. Um, the the concept for that sort of trick has been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in magic, we always say there's more than one way to skin that cat. Uh, um, so uh, the close-up stuff, you do uh, card tricks? I do, yes. And um, what's a card trick? Describe a card trick that you, you like to do. Well, I think one of the more the more uh, common or more uh, typical tricks would be, you know, not unlike what I just described with the bill and the lemon, you'd pick a card, you can write your name on the card so it's your signature, and the card goes in the middle of the deck but keeps popping up on the top of the deck. So and it happens again and again and again. It's called the ambitious card, uh-huh. and it's a I won't say a, a beginner effect, but it's a staple in the uh, repertoire of many close-up magicians. Remind me not to play poker with you, okay? You know, people say that all the time. First of all, they don't invite me that often, yeah. anyway. I'm not surprised. Uh, but secondly, you know the the techniques that magicians use versus the techniques that gamblers use are actually very different so they're not interchangeable yeah i was reading um she's i uh forgive me uh this is a fellow i'm sure you know him um he was um someone who and i, I read this thing on the air and, it, and you know the trick it's called um i think it's called any card any number ah you're i think you're thinking of david Berglas. thank you yes yes Yes. Yeah, he was uh, that he was recently profiled in the New York Times. That's yeah, I read that. Thank you, thank you. I read that on the air. Um, I, I thought it was fascinating. Anyway, uh, quickly, the the trick is that um, it's in the variations, and you're 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 asked to name a, a card and right. and pick a number, and then the magician is able to go through. So the uh, it's the six of clubs, fourteen. So we deal fourteen cards out, and it's the six of clubs. And, That's right. And so in this profile. <laughs> John, they had. Did you see where he he did the trick? It was like a deck. It was like a sealed deck in his in his desk, um, and he had some visitor just go over. And uh, I I thought it was fabulous. So, but do you can I can I ask you this? Um, do you know how Do you know how he did that? Do you can Can you figure that out or? Yes. Okay. Good. That's all I want to know. So, <laughs> he was also a guy. Famously, who made a grand piano disappear in thin air? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not. That's a larger effect than you like to do. That that is, and it's also uh, the type of effect that he didn't perform it like formally. Right. Like you would, you wouldn't buy a ticket to see that trick. He did it so that at a at a function where they weren't expecting a performance, he wasn't formally. Uh, you know, doing a show, yeah. but so he had to re- really rely on the element of surprise. Hmm. What's uh, what uh, what do you what is the life lesson that you get from uh, from being a magician? Magic is all about perception. 
So the way you perceive it is the way you think it feels. Uh, but that's not always the way that it is. So, uh, okay, I like that. Um, any way you could do a trick for us on the phone here? Uh, think of a card. All right, hang on. In fact, I've got, I've got some music for you here. John, let's see here. This is, this is right. suspenseful music, All right? I'm thinking of okay. a card. I got it. I got one in my brain. Think of, think of a card. Yeah. I want you to imagine it floating there in the air right in front of you. Okay. You could see the face of the card. It's slowly rotating on its axis. All right. And you can see the back of the card. Okay. Is it the three of clubs? Um, no. Dang. Man, that would have been really good. <laughs> well, So, um, it, it's not quite summer officially, but I think uh, it, it, it really feels like it here. And our old friend, uh, Michael McClenahan, a, uh, a veterinarian known as the Bowtie Vet Guy, joins us, and uh, I believe we have him there. Uh, doctor, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. You're way out west. Are you staying cool? Uh, I, I would lie and say yes, but no. We had a brownout, man. I had all these devices cranked. We couldn't fans and air conditioners and oh it's too much which leads me to say um um pets in the summer uh, is that is that the theme right now sure it is i mean <laughs> it's a it can be a big problem i mean it's so hot where you guys are right now i'm out west and and we're still in spring here so it's not too bad but um you know there's a, a few things that i see with uh, uh pets in the summer and obviously heat is a big one you know dogs that are outside uh, can get overheated very easily it can be really dangerous for them so it's something to watch out for i saw um, a, i saw a dog panting yesterday and that that's the how they air condition themselves or it is right so we we cool ourselves off with sweat right so evaporation and uh that's the, the it's a really pretty efficient way of cooling off our bodies and they don't have that right that dogs don't sweat so the only way they can move that hot uh heat out of their bodies is by uh, panting and getting that hot air out, which isn't super efficient. So that's why dogs can get really in trouble uh, when it's when it's hot like that. And you know the the short faced dogs, the what they're called brachycephalics, the smushy ones like right. Frenchies, yeah. they have even less uh, ability to move that air in and out. And so they're really susceptible to um, uh, hyperthermia, and it can it can be dangerous. They can die from it. So yeah. it's something to if it's hot out, keep your dog inside where it's cool. And uh, then you have an excuse to stay in the air conditioning, too. I have to do it for my dog. <laughs> this, is, this is Michael McClenahan. He is, among other things, the co-host of something called Vets, The Vets Unleashed, which yeah. is a very entertaining podcast if you uh, want to check that out. The Vets Unleashed. Uh, you can uh, search for that. Um, he's known as the Bowtie Vet Guy. And um, so we haven't, we didn't talk during the uh, pandemic, I don't think. I think it was right before or something like that. Anyway, um, how how uh, how how did your pets and everybody's pets do? Well, the pets did pretty darn well over over the uh, the pandemic and the lockdown. It was interesting. A lot of the shelters around the country emptied out. People were home all the time. They're like, I, I'm home and I'm alone. I'll, I'll, I want to get a pet. Yeah. <laughs> the shelters were emptying out, and and then there was a big worry that they were going to fill back up as yeah. people went back to work, and we're like, oh, I don't want this thing anymore. Yeah. And you know, there was a little bit of a bounce back, but really, it's kind of just come back to you know animals 
going into shelters about what it was before. So oh. it hasn't, you know, people aren't as terrible as we think they are. Do so people take, I mean, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I, I didn't, did people go back and forth from shelters? I guess you have you bring an animal home, you can't care for it. So Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest ones are people just aren't aware of what they're getting into. You yeah. know, they're like, I want to get a dog and they, you know, they have this, you know, romanticized idea of what it, what it means to have a dog and then they find out it's a lot of work. I keep, Gary, I have... I have a I have a new foster puppy myself. So oh, I'm, I'm with all those people. <laughs> what's what's what is uh, his or her name? His name is Doctor Benjamin Bean. Um, I gave him a, a doctorate. It's Dogtorate because you know he didn't spend four years at dog school to be called oh, Mister. <laughs> but he had a he was he uh, uh, his previous owners couldn't take care of him and he had a broken leg. Oh, so when he came to me. He had just had the leg fixed, and so we had to keep him sedated so that he wouldn't run around and you know bend the plates in the leg where the where the leg had been fixed. And so now he's not sedated, Gary, and and he's he's a lot of energy. Oh, what, <laughs> he's what, fine. what breed? What breed is this? He is a Queensland healer. Uh, looks like a um, it's or Australian Shepherd is kind of the thing. He's a little. Um, sort of um, blue merle thing, and he, boy, does he have a lot of energy. He's a herding dog. So think of like a border collie. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Oh. You know, I've he's been. Either, he's either sleeping or chewing. Um, ten four to what you're saying about people, you know, wanting the company. I have two. Yeah. I have, luckily I have two grand dogs. Um, both of mm-hmm. my both of my daughters have dogs, so I can kind of borrow them in my, you know. Um, oh, but that's the best way. I know, but I, I know you wanted me to get a cat. And I, uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like a cat. You know, Doc, I would be living out in the yard. I can see the cat would just, you know, we'd, you know it's, I mean, less and less. You've got to move that stuff. I'm tired of yeah. looking at it, right? I mean, yeah. so, yeah, I don't know. My, uh, people are, like, always telling me, I'm afraid my, my cat is trying to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't worry about it. If your cat were trying to kill you, you would already be dead. <laughs> How about um, how about birds? Did I ask about birds? I really want to get a bird. Yeah, um, yeah. Birds can be. Are the thing about birds is they very much bond to their people. All right. Um, you know, obviously depending on which kind you get, but a lot of the the ones that people think about getting, like the talking ones and the right. cockatiels and I, such, they I, really I, bond. If we had a parrot, mm. I mean, that puts us over the top. I mean, that really brands. That brands yeah. the whole pirate show right there. It really kind of does. You might have to also get an eye patch and <laughs> uh, walk with a limp. Yeah. <laughs> and they are a lot. Well, I understand if, if the parrot pokes you, you know, and you're in the wrong way, you have to get the eye patch. <laughs> and then you trip and you've got the limp. I mean, you're in the peg light. You're yeah. there. So. <laughs> Um, I like it. I think I think, think about the bird. They're, they are uh, they can be finicky to, to make sure you take care of, and they need a lot of they need a lot more um, attention than you think. You know, people think like, oh, I have a bird, and I keep it in a big aviary or cage, and, uh, and that's about it. But no, they need a lot of attention, and they're they're social animals, and they they want to be with you. Uh, Twenty two before the hour. This is a veterinarian, the boy, the bow tie vet guy, Michael McClanahan. Um, his uh, podcast is it. Uh, the Vets Unleashed. You can look that up. Hey, we were talking a while ago, me and uh, Aaron Mitten, who's gonna, Mittens is going to rejoin us and talk about some news here on a moment. Um, there was a thing that he showed me. I'm, I'm sure you've seen this. It was um, a woman um, kind of training her dog to operate um, 
Um, it looked like a series of yeah. lights, kind of like twister or something like. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I did see that where there, and it's it's words go with those lights, right? Right, right, right. Is that yeah. is that the wave of the future? Oh, uh, you know, it could be, or even even more so. I would love to see where you put a little put a little helmet on on them, and then it just reads their thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> that yeah. would be even better. Yeah. <laughs> then it would just be it would just be all the time like feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> Outside. Outside. Yeah, I'm sure somebody is probably probably somebody at Amazon is working on that for you to implant. Sure, oh, yeah, they probably have. They're probably reading our thoughts right now. Um, all right, where did the billion? Fan, let me take a break. Where did the billionaires' billions go? Is is the next question here? And this is from the the new series Billionaires in Space. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information like your social security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. 18 after the hour, it's the Chicago Radio Pirates. It's Gary Lee Wright and, and Aaron Mittens here. And the irrepressible Jeff Bezos, who uh, continues to be a really rich guy. And, and he's making news almost every day, Aaron, thanks to us. What about yes, it? Yes. What about it? Yeah, so uh, Jeff, Be Jeff Bezos and 24 of his closest friends, I'm sure they're not really friends, but um, they were <laughs> they were released in this, um, this basically the Panama Papers Part 2. Uh -huh. uh, ProPublica obtained tax records from 2014 to 2018 of the nation's 25 wealthiest people um, and found that, you know, as in the Panama Papers, they were skirting the tax code, but legally. And that's really the big story here is that they all found ways between 2014 and 2018 to pay zero in taxes virtually. Uh. Um, but it was all legal. Uh -huh. And this goes back to the old homage. People say, eat the rich. I say, beat the system. <laughs> because once you eat the rich, their kids will swarm in and they'll be in their place in no time. So it's really the system that's the problem here. And we're, you know, we focus on Bezos and Musk and George Soros. The, the Republicans love that guy. Huh. Uh, they went over some specifics as to what they specifically did. George Soros, he paid no taxes between 2016 and 18 after claiming investment losses. Uh, Musk, Elon Musk, $152 billion, paid no taxes by, um, this is an interesting wow. thing he did. I almost he, said no S and completed the S word. Really? <laughs> All right, Elon, go ahead. How's he doing? So he, right, so he basically, he regularly borrowed tens of billions of dollars from his stock holdings in SpaceX and Tesla, and then the interest was paid by the company, and then that was deducted from his taxes owed. So this is really big, cumbersome thing or whatever but basically i thought it would be cool if we went to specifically why this is a story yeah. we live in a world where there's like you know megabytes gigabytes terabytes petabytes it's all about big numbers huh. thousand million billion trillion you know we just had trillions of dollars in you know uh 
funding for the or relief for the covid whatnot we have trillions of dollars in debt to china so i thought it'd be cool if we i was going to state this as a fact but in the moment i'm going to ask this as a question jeff bezos he's worth 190 billion bucks if he spent a million dollars every year he has no more money coming in no investments no inflation how many years do you think it would take for him to spend all of his money did you do the math here i, I did the math yes and the answer is a hundred and ninety thousand <laughs> years. Oh Lord! Wow. I went. For, yeah. and I went to the history books. Yeah. Right. And this is like this is not just people working hard, making a lot of money for themselves, whatever. Yeah. These are billionaires, yeah, and I think yeah. we lose sight of how much money that is. Yeah. I went to the history books. Yeah. He could have gone back literally yeah. to the first emergence of Homo sapiens, a hundred and ninety thousand <laughs> years ago. Yes. Pre clothing, pre fire, right. and have had spend a million dollars a year and be here today like hey guys what's taking you so long so like this is an astronomical amount of funds this isn't just you know rich people right. with their money these are extremely 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 you know um deep pocketed people i'm i'm picturing him as one of the first homo sapiens maybe it was like his, <laughs> his uncle right his uncle man a couple of a little, a little smart investments you know he, he saw the clubs were going to be big. He, he, he had some, anyway. This will thing is going to be all the rage. Oh, that is wild. Um, that's, that is unbelievable. Stutz and the Maytals. We're, we're, not, we're not in Kingston, but we're, we're close. I think Wellesley Gale is, is on the road. Wellesley, you're not, you're not near Kingston this morning, are you, or are you? Uh, no, I'm, I'm in the Montego Bay area. So. All right. Wellesley is driving somewhere, and, and um, he said he could take a second while we're uh, while we're we're uh, trying to wake up here, because um, it's summer down there, and and we were going to ask you about foods and stuff like that. You got you got stuff you're going to make for the summer. Uh, sorry, sorry, you said if we're going to do something for the summer. Yeah, do you have special foods that you do in Jamaica for the summer? Oh, <laughs> well, we have a lot of fruits. We yeah. have a lot of fruits for the summer. We have. Um... We have a lot of mangoes coming in now. Yeah. Yeah, so we, I look forward to that. And guinness. So that's what we have uh, going on. We usually have the summer festivals and the jerk festivals in summer, as well as, you know, the biggest the big, the big, biggest reggae show. We call it the biggest reggae show on earth, which is which is a reggae something. When is usually when, early. When is that? It's usually early July. Usually about July 3rd, July 4th. But... I haven't heard a lot about it this time because of, you know, we're just starting to reopen back. So I think if they're going to do something, it's probably going to be something that is more virtual, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is yeah. this is Wellesley Gale. Um, Wellesley has a, a cool website. It's uh, my-island-jamaica.com. Wellesley, you know, we just did, um, we put you on our website, and if they click on your name, it'll go to your, uh, they'll, they'll get the link so they can see what you're doing down there. Because we, we wonderful, want, we, we want wonderful people, man. we want people to come and bring money, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely wonderful. So, um, what? Uh, I, let me ask you quick. I, I, I know jerking is a it's a it's a form of cooking, right? But it, it could yes. it could be anything because you just been you can you can jerk chicken or you can jerk broccoli. What what is that? What's jerking? Well, jerk is a, it's an interesting concept. It's something that we inherited from the the original inhabitants of Jamaica, which is the Tainos. Uh, they actually did it one way, and then 
our African ancestors, they came and they had they were doing it another another way. So we combined both. What happened is essentially what happened is that um, food food is placed on a sheet. There's fire, uh, wood, usually pimento, and then there is a it's just like barbecue sort of thing. If you're familiar with barbecue, then it's a good idea what jerk is. And you put uh, you put pimento logs, pimento logs, and pimento pimento leaves. It, uh, well, you may not know it as pimento. You may might know it as allspice. In America, I think they call it allspice. Yeah. But the leaves of the allspice and the logs of the allspice are put on a, on, on, like, on like a platter, and uh, and then the food fire goes under it. And then the food goes on top of it. Yeah. But yeah, and and it's smoked pretty much there, covered, covered on a, another sheet of zinc, and and stayed there, kind of just, kind of just soaking, soaking up the heat and the and the smoke and everything. It's, it's very similar to barbecue. It's a little bit more, you know. It has it has modernized in a lot of ways, close to barbecue, you know. But in, in originally, it was actually done to earth. Yeah, but was done inside the earth. They usually dig a hole. Right. You know, uh, yeah, because of the, the history where, you know, we had a lot of runaway slaves and they didn't want the, the plantation owners to, to catch up with them. So they would, when they cook in the woods, they would cook, dig a hole in the earth and cook inside the earth and cover it, cover the top of it. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's the same concept, except it's as modernized a little bit now where we're cooking on top of the earth. So so that is that is what where the jerk, the jerk idea comes from. But yes, we jerk everything now. We jerk. Which are pork, which are which are meat, pork, chicken, um, goat, everything. But also with jerk. I mean, you can get a jerk coin if you want as well. Yeah, you know? I've That's had jerk. I've, I, I've had jerk chicken, which is great. I mean, because it, because it, it's cooked for so long. That's the idea. This jerking. It's it, it's a long, long process. Exactly, and 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 even longer is the marination process. Usually, usually, um, it's you know it, it's. Put the food it's, it's seasoned and put to soak for a couple of days. Some people are up to a week to marinate oh, to make sure all the. Uh, is that right? Y- yes. Oh wow. Yes, that, 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 that's a traditional way. But um, yeah. you know, you know, you find a jerk pan man now on the road because it's jerking pans as well. We call the jerk chicken man pan yeah. where they have like half a drum. Yeah. That they cut. And I'm not sure if you have seen that where they cut like a half a drum, a uh, sixty-gallon drum, and cut it in two and put it on a stand and. They, and they cook on the side of the road. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's another another new way of jerking as well. But but so those people won't necessarily have it for for so many days marinated, you know. But you know, it's the same, pretty much the same concept. They might have it overnight or two days, you know. So um, all these things come together. You're talking about all these festivals that you're going to have, and you got reggae coming, and, and uh, I'm assuming there's a big it's a it's a big big crowd. Although how How's the how's the COVID going down there, Wellesley? Are you are you coming out yeah. of it, or are people still uh, still nervous? What what's what's the scoop? Well, we're happy to report that we are coming out of it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we don't have a third wave because we had a second. Uh, right now, the numbers are very very small. I think we're we're at uh, like thirty and forty cases per day. Oh yeah, all right. Yes, yeah, which is which is extremely. That's coming from like 600, 800, 1,000 mm-hmm. per day. So oh, I know. This, this things starting to happen again. I mean, they're open up, open up a lot of the, a lot of the industries, and um, people are going back to work. The, the curfew hours are, are much shorter, meaning we have more time during the day. Yeah. You know, uh, the entertainment. I know 
entertainment people are looking forward to the full opening up. There's an announcement. There's an announcement later this week by the prime minister uh, where he's going to talk about the entertainment sector. But for the most part, things are easing up, and we're really, really happy. Really, really happy about that. You know. I I've never been down there, Wellesley. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna try to do it. I maybe maybe this is the year to do it. Um, somebody asked me about weddings down there. Yeah, you do weddings down. That's that's a kind of a that's a that's a special wow. a special event in Jamaica, right? Weddings. Wedding? Yeah. You mean uh, yes, definitely. It's a big event in Jamaica, and we have a lot of weddings. Uh, I think more, we have more weddings in Jamaica now by overseas people than local. Yeah. <laughs> People come. Lot, no, I know people. Yeah, lot, people come from other places to get married there because it's a beautiful place to get married, right? Exactly. So we we and, and we have all kind of weddings. So I mean, you have east side weddings, you have the traditional church wedding, depending on the denomination. Right. Uh, we have all denominations represented here in Jamaica, by the way. Yeah. Christian, mainly Christian denominations: a Catholic, Seventh Adventist, Apostolic, uh, prote- uh, oh, Protestant, all of them, but. In addition to the church weddings, we also have beach weddings. Yeah. You, know, you have a wedding on the beach. We have waterfall weddings. Waterfall you weddings? Know? Wait a minute. Yeah. Waterfall? Oh, wow. Yeah, man. You have, a wa- you have waterfalls in the background. Um, and we have a lot of waterfalls here. Yeah. Some of them you might, yeah, some of them you might know or might not know. We have a, a whole lot. Some of them familiar ones would be like Duns River, Reach Falls, Secret Falls. Uh, Mayfield Falls, Wyatt Falls, those are some of the falls that we have. But in addition to falls, we also have, like, um, we have a, what they call heritage heritage site weddings where, you know, people will go to some of those heritage right. sites, like right. Port Royal that had the earthquake, some yeah. of those plantation houses, the, guest, the old guest houses where slave masters used to live. Yeah. Uh, some of those ruins, some of those places. Uh, so, so some some people use those uh, wonderful backdrop as well. Of course, you know in Jamaica we have a lot of greenery. Yeah, a lot of green, a lot of greenery. <laughs> and and I I learned to appreciate that no more because I went to I came there to Arizona last year before last, and I saw how dry that place is near to Phoenix. And, and, I, and I wasn't I realized how beautiful Jamaica is. You know, it's all green in Arizona. Uh, yeah, I, I live my here. Wellesley. My sister was born in Phoenix. It is it is very dry. That's that's yeah, like the yeah. I know that's like the opposite of Jamaica, right? Total opposite, man. Total. Even, even the hills there are just all brown. You know, nothing grows apparently. <laughs> I when I came there, it was in the summer. It was extremely hot. But yeah, man, it's all green in Jamaica. You have yeah. you have other weddings too. People have weddings um, in the hills. I mean, we have a lot. We have mountains here as well. It, it, it's really just up to what what you want because we have everything basically all infrastructure for that kind of thing and the fun um activities wonderful places to go after that lovely sunset you know we have i think i think we're we're one of the countries caribbean country obviously but you know we have so much that we're so thankful thankful for that we we can offer you know so if i came down there if i could find a girl to marry me who could could you could you marry could you marry us? Wellesley, are you? Do you get a do you, the person that does the ceremony? Do you have a lot of people available for that? Yes, yes, man, yes. Yeah. And, and actually, have, yes, definitely. And actually, have an article. Yeah. On my website uh, that talks about getting married in Jamaica and okay. what you need and so forth. All right. Um, I have a full article on there. Um, I can probably send you that a little later on. But yeah. basically, 
basically we have the entire package. We have a marriage officer here. Okay. Uh, we have coordinators here because we do it so often. We have a lot of people, a lot of people who are certified, who are ready, or you yeah. know, ready to do it. No, I, I know a lot. Um, I got married uh, ten years ago, and it was one of those persons uh, that actually I coordinated with to do it for me, who actually does a lot of visitor visitor wedding. Yeah. So we have a lot of people here who would be more than willing and capable of doing that kind of thing, you know? I love this. All right, so go to, if you listen to us, don't do this if you're driving, but um, when, when you get to a safe place, go to our website, which is bleat.network, and you'll see Wellesley, yeah. Wellesley Gale's name, hit it, and that's a link, and it'll take you to wow. his, his website, and, um, yeah. and it's good stuff down there. Um, so, all right. Yeah. And if you'd like him to marry you, no, if, you, <laughs> <laughs> Wellesley, give me, give me some, um, uh, um, Natasha was asking us about, uh, slang words and Jamaican expressions. What are some things that I'm going to, if I go down there and I'm going to hear people, you know, things that people, uh, you know, you, you all, oh, you speak a, a different kind of English. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. man. All right. Well, yeah, man. Yeah, man, mean yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, man, yeah, man. It, 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 it's a, a more affectionate way to say yes, you know? Okay. So, so yeah, man. So a lot of, in fact, a lot of tourists seem to uh, like to say that when they come here, they see somebody and they want to say hi. Yeah. They want to say hi or hello or, or they want to say yes. You say yeah, man. Um, yes, uh, uh, you'll, hear, you'll hear sister. Well, some of them are really close to the English, you know. It's just a little broken, so to speak. Yeah. So sister is sister. Why is boy? Um, uh, today is today. What? Yesterday. What is it today? Today, today is today. Okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so most of them. You so know. Most of them are pretty. Most of them are pretty close. If you listen closely, you realize it's really close to the English. Uh, I'm driving. I'll be, I'll be happy to send you a complete list of. Okay, because if I come down there, I think you better go everywhere with me. Sorry. I'll, I'll, if I come down there, I think you ought to go everywhere with me and translate. It would be a pleasure, man. I, oh. I, I had a friend of mine who came here, Dan and Samantha. I want to salute them. I'm not sure if they're listening or they listen to your program, but okay. So I, I took them around. They came here last time, and man, they couldn't. They went up and they said they're gonna come back the next month yeah. with their family because they had a whale of a time. We we went horseback riding, uh, we went buggy, ATV driving, we went to Dundee River Fall. We did a zip line where we where yeah. we you know the zip lining where you, you swing over the mount over the hills. Yeah, on a zip line we did that. Uh, I took them to some 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 local places, Eatry, where we got some jerk chicken. Uh, same jerk chicken, we get some coconut water to drink oh, from man. the locals. You know, we from the locals, we yeah, drove I... around and we had a really good time. We stopped in Ocherios and did some sightseeing as well. So we had a whale of a time. And I tell you, when he, he can't wait to come back. I mean, I have them on WhatsApp now. I keep close to them. And man, they're, they're so excited because, it, you know, in addition to in addition to hospitality, the hospitality, you know, that I, I, I showed with them, you know, it, it yeah. was amazing. That was amazing what they got from the local flavor because a lot of people come and go to the all exclusive. Yeah. But you know, when you get a local person, well, um, I'm know, so, a uh, local person that you can uh, that can take you around. It's, it's, it's the best. You get the best of both worlds. You know. I am so ready. Um, 
Grocery stores are bringing back self-service areas like hot bars and salad bars. And Jewel Osco, uh, known, that's known in Chicagoans, uh, it's always referred to as the Jewels. Where'd you go to? Did you go, did you go to the Jewels to shop? Oh, yeah. Was it crowded at the Jewels? Jewel Osco technically is what's called it's reopening its hot bars, wing bars, and self-serve bakery areas. Mariano's has re- reopened hot bars and soup bars. And on and on and on. Whole Foods. I, you know what? I, I got to say this. I, I'm glad that all this is happening. I was never, I just was never a salad bar guy. I was never a public salad bar. It talks here, you can actually go, go in and eat there. You know, listen, I've, I've, had, the, uh, I've, I've had the honor and privilege to have some, some, some pretty iffy show business jobs over my career. But I walked into, oh man, I don't, I want, I don't want to mention the chain, <clears throat> Mariano's, and they had a guy playing piano next to the salad bar because it was wine evening, and oh man, uh, Dr. Andrew Griffiths is our guest. He's been on before, and I'm really uh, anxious to have him back. He joins us this morning. Can I call you, Andy? Hi. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for uh, joining us again. Um, I, I think the best way to describe you is you're, you're, you've been a working policeman over there, a detective. Um, you're a consultant. You have a PhD. And we're going to talk about policing uh, here in the United States and also in the UK. Um, Andy, you're, now you're not in London. As I remember, you're a little bit north. Is that right? No, no, uh, the south. South of London, near near the city of Brighton. Okay, the, all right, south of, south of London. Okay, very good. So listen, um, we were going to talk about um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of uh, laws passed in the United States here, um, one of them in California and the other in um, Washington State. Um, they have to do with sort of warning people of their rights. Um, let me read this real quick, and then I want to know what you think about it. Um, if you're arrested in this country, this being the United States, you have the right to remain silent. But beginning next year in Washington State, you'll also have the right to have a video and audio recording of what you say to police. This went into law in, uh, in Washington State about three weeks ago. Um, uh, a broad package of police reform laws. Um, I'm gathering you think this is a good idea, yeah? Yeah, but definitely. I, I, I think it is. I think um, a lot of countries already do this. I don't think it's controversial in any way, and I think it contributes to procedural justice and also um, getting an accurate record of what was actually said. So I don't think there's a downside to it. Now, do they do this in the UK? Do you have uh, do you, you have a protocol for when someone is uh, arrested and they're going to be, before you ask me anything, we're going to turn on the tape or, or something? Have you been doing that for a while there? Only since 1986. Really? Okay. <laughs> so yeah, since since 1986, every uh, detainee has been entitled to an audio um, recording of what took place with uh, the police. Every offence doesn't matter how minor. Because I know there are, there are some categories in some of the legislation that's been passed. Uh, it only relates to felonies, doesn't it? In um, for adults in yeah. Washington State. Um, there's no such distinction in the UK at all. It's every offence from littering to a car crash to murder. Jeez, to look for littering. Um, would that we had uh, only those problems there. Do you, um, I was going to ask you, you know, there's a whole, 
there's a movement in the United States, um, which I frankly think is kind of nutty, to defund the police, the idea that you're, you suddenly pull, I mean, I'm, I keep saying, let's defund the fire department, everybody get a bucket. Um, we need the police department here. Um, what about the general um, popularity of law enforcement people in the UK? Um, it, it, it's generally it's good, but it's undeniable that in cities and in areas that are ethnically mixed, there is a mixed uh, reception for the police. So it's not universal, you know, um, approval by any by any shadow. But then I don't think it ever will be, and, it, and it's certainly true that you know certain sections of society feel as if things are biased against them so that that that's common um with the u.s experience but um we we don't have the the political swing that you have and i know i was just reading a an article yesterday where shootings fatal and non-fatal shootings in portland have tripled in the last year and that follows a $27 million reduction in the um, police budget approved by the camp, by the city's um, politicians. And there's a quote from a politician who said that um, we don't need the police involved in the community. All they're there to do is enforce the law and, and we don't want them to talk to them, you know. And that uh, that is a million miles away uh. from the principles of policing that were established by Sir Robert Peel in 1829, which is that the police are part of the community. And so I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, this sort of defund the police movement is having that swing effect where some radical ideas with no evidence behind them are getting passed and it's leading to consequences to, to people's lives and safety. So uh, Robert Peel, as I remember, I think that's where the word Bobby comes from. Is that correct? Which, which, yeah, you're right. All right, which takes yeah. me back yeah. to um, our, growing up, um, Andy, our, our vision of the, of the United Kingdom, um, the, the cops didn't carry guns. Um, they were all dressed a, quite a bit differently than American cops were. Anyway, the whole, I mean, the whole, the, the, the whole nation, the whole nature of what law enforcement is over there, it just has always seemed so different from what was happening here in the United States. Yes, I, I, I think that. That's absolutely right, and I, and I think that um, this this aspect of um, police officers being part of the community is one of the key principles that that British policing has tried to maintain, and it's, of course it's got it's got the history of that. And and when you look into the um, the Peel's principles, he, he was obviously against arming the police, and his distinction, his view on that was that it made a distinction between them and the armed forces. You know, it's a very clear and obvious distinction between them and the army, and that's why they were different. So it stems from that. Now, again, I wouldn't want to paint a picture that everything's rosy and perfect, and we have got, you know, um, rising levels of violence in, in certain places. Knife crime is, is a problem in big cities in the UK, uh, and there are more armed officers than there ever used to be. Um, but there's then they're is no routine arming of, of police officers. And we have this PCSO role, which, which may be something your listeners are unfamiliar with. So a PCSO, that stands for Police Community Support Officer. Now, they are uniformed people who wear 
a similar uniform but don't have full police powers, don't carry the same um, protective or offensive equipment like tasers or, or batons, and their job is to do patrol. And so they will um, sometimes be attached to schools, sometimes have a focus on a retail area, and their job is to talk to people and, and, and make those community bonds. That's what, so that, that's a specific, specific role. What we call a community policing here, by and large. And, and, and again, yeah. as, and you describe, you describe it, and there's, really no reason, really, there's no reason for someone in that role to have a taser. Or, or a weapon, because they're there just to communicate and to, uh, to be part of the community. So, um, Indeed. Go ahead. Indeed. And, and now, because we, we do have situations where those people are assaulted, and of course that, that isn't good, um, uh, but of course it's a, deliberate, it's a deliberate statement that you have those people whose role is to have those links to the community. So certainly I don't think um, you know, that that particular comment I was referring to is not helpful, and right. I certainly don't think it's helpful to distance the police from the community so that they're just there for the bad things in life you know they're just there to come and arrest you they're just there to um to, to send you to prison you know they're also there to help when people go missing when people are in trouble and i think that that's an important part of balancing the role in the eyes of the community this is uh, dr andrew griffiths from the uk he is a police officer a former detective or maybe a, currently a detective a consultant um, and, and a person who um, seems to have his finger on, on what's happening. Let me ask you just in general, as you know, uh, our president, uh, Joe Biden, is over there. Um, and the, uh, the, um, as we say, the whole world is watching. We came out of this period of time when Trump um, brought a, really a lot of international uh, uh, criticism on us. Um, how are we doing over there? Yeah. Well, certainly... Um uh, so two things I'd say on that. Number one, we're seeing a lot less headlines regarding the American president. You know, I think Trump was, was um, head front page news every day of his presidency and right. Biden isn't in the UK. And secondly, as regards the, the G7 summit, yeah, it all appears to be very friendly and cordial with lots of photo opportunities and, and people generally getting along. And the president and first lady, um, I think the first lady was in a primary school with the with Prince William's wife, um, Catherine, um, oh. you know the, the next Queen of, of of the of the Britain and the Commonwealth. Okay. It's all very cordial and a lot less tension, shall we say? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, um, uh, Annie, I mean, the vision of uh, that Americans have, as you know, we don't have a royal family here. Um, I just got uh, my producer just sent me a note on on rules that the royal children have to follow in the UK. We don't have those issues here, but. Um, you know, the sense of, on one level, a very old country with a lot of old traditions, a lot of finery, and, um, and yet you're in the 21st century here. Um, I'd say to some extent, there's, it's kind of a collision of generations over there. Do you, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I, and I, yeah, I think that um, that's true. And, you know, the issues around um, exit from, from Europe and stuff have obviously been a, a heavy focus for, um, for us. And, and I think it is a situation where, you know, Britain's trying to work out its role in the modern world. Um, but that's not, that's, not, that's not something I'm an expert on at all. But certainly from, as a layman, that's definitely what's happening from my point of view, yeah. How, uh, how po- I just read an, a phrase that said, Boris Johnson isn't popular, but it doesn't matter. That was in the American press. Is, is, is he popular over there? 
Yeah, it, it, what's happening with that is that there are constant, pretty constant stories around his ethics in terms of his political ethics. So there seems to be a, you know, a, a, a story a week about some relationship between a conservative politician and somebody from business, very often to do with contracts awarded under COVID or some other perceived scandal. Nothing seems to sort of really stick in the press, um, and um, it doesn't seem to be in the popularity polls that the opposition party, the Labour Party, are gaining much ground. So I think that's what that's referring to. Um, we, uh, you know, to state the obvious, we have a different system over here where Biden's in office for four years, but Boris could be done in a week, right? You'll have a, what is it, a vote of no confidence, and then there. So that that sense of a, you know a government that is a little bit less permanent. Um, that's different. That's different from what we're used to. Um, yeah, but in, in in effect, for that to happen, I mean, I think it'd be extremely rare. But what has gone now is it used to be much different to that because parliament parliament could run for between five and seven years up until quite recently, and now it's a fixed term. So you know there'll be an election every five years, whereas it used to be five to seven. The the, the way that the, the parliament is set up um it's really completely off the scale that enough tory mps would vote against him to force a vote of no confidence yeah. i don't again i'm not an expert i don't even think it's a simple majority in in, in a in a vote like that um so um but of course it, here's what is an interesting thing is that boris as has happened before with theresa may boris could be replaced as the leader of the party and therefore the person who takes over would be prime minister having never gone through an election. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. That's, um, you know, uh, you, you, this, is, this holds a mirror up to us when we think of our, you know, our, uh, our government. Um, going back to crime and punishment and policing, um, yeah. there's a lot, there's an enormous disconnect here in the United States between people who think this about the cops and people who think that. Um, do you have more of a consensus in the UK? Uh, yeah, you, you, you do. And I, I think, again, when I'm, when I'm talking to, to people, you know, in, in the US, I can be talking to an agency or a city um, and who are considering quite drastic and forward-thinking changes to their policing, yeah. and that will have no effect on their neighbours, whereas in the UK you'd never have that. And, um, you know, legislation affects all 43 police forces. So that's 50 million people. So I, I know you've, you've got a couple of states, obviously, that, that are that big. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's very different. And, and so if we could, you know, going back to some new legislation, you know, there's this proposed legislation in, in California for police to be trained um, how to interview. Now, that is also pretty um, revolutionary. Um, and I don't... That hasn't been passed. It's a proposal. But certainly that's a novel proposal because very often legislation is geared towards just changing the rules. But legislation geared towards provision of training is slightly more unusual. But again, that's just California, big state. But there's no prospect of, of any other state doing that from where I read. So that's a good example of how things are so you know, federal or unilateral, depending on what your point of view is, in the U.S. 
Are there are there police officers in the UK who simply would not? I should be the other way around. Are there police officers in the United States who simply would not be on a force in the UK for whatever reason? That's hard to say. I mean, um, you know, in terms of standards of recruitment. I mean, yeah, I, I, what I will say is that, you know, I talk to a lot of police officers in the states, and I, I see the same well-motivated um, people who want to do the right thing. And I think that is common. So again, I very often talk about police culture and I see that positive aspect of police culture. They really want to catch the bad guys. They want to help the vulnerable people um, and get frustrated, you know, when, when they're misunderstood. So I certainly see that as regards, I think the rules generally the same, you know, in terms of previous criminal convictions and, and references, I think that those standards are broadly the same, but um, you know, for example, if somebody would be employed in the U.S. with a simple cannabis possession conviction, uh, I think that could also happen in the U.K. So I don't see huge differences in that. Nothing stark that I would say, oh, yeah, it's, it's different because of this. Uh, this is Dr. Andrew Griffiths, Andy Griffiths, who is a Ph.D. and a person who knows about uh, criminology and uh, many of the things that we're, we're grappling with over here in the United States. Andy, have you been here, uh, have you been here to the United States at all? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Um, I, I, I was uh, visiting professor at John Jay for, for um, five months back in 2012, and before COVID, was back and forth quite a lot, um, working and, and talking to uh, police agencies and, and other agencies related to reform and um, different methods of policing, but not since January 2020. Yeah, um, We will buy you a coffee. If you if you come over and visit us, I it's well we'll say when because we're obviously hoping to get back. It's, yeah, it's, well, it's a great country. I've met I've met a lot of great people, and um, certainly we'll be looking to come back. But at the moment, again, that's another issue for people, isn't it? Is, yeah. is uh, with the um, lots of conferences this year are going to be virtual, um, so I think that's that's where we're at at the minute. Well, I think we're you know maybe it's maybe we're halfway there. Um, Listen, um, what a what a treat to meet you. Um, this has been an interesting angle to meet someone we've, we've never spoken in real life. Um, I've never been to where you are. Um, you've been to where I am. But um, this notion of communication across the Atlantic, um, this is a good thing. It's the Chicago Radio Pirates program. For, for Hugh Laurie, Aaron Mittens. Uh, Microphone Jones and Natasha Rodriguez, our producer in Chicago, and everyone who is out there right now playing at the piano bar next to the salad at Mariano's. Have a weekend. You are listening to the Bleat Network. This is Bleat.